0: of Reagan, and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van
1: Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined
0: to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Ah, oh, so Casey,
1: so Mike. CGI sure has come a long way, hasn't it? You've you've just been erased, Mike.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. We are talking about the nineteen ninety
1: six political cyber thriller eraser uh i guess i the po- political part of it is a stretching a bit well I, think. I
0: mean it's got a scene where you know like a, a member of of uh the u.s government yells into a phone i need the goddamn discs <laughs> so that's that's the sort of 1990s we're sitting in front of a lot of computer screens a lot of people are walking down the the front steps of the capitol building uh, of course this movie was directed by chuck russell Oh yeah, he directed who, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, right? The Dream Warriors. Yeah. Uh, he did the eighty eight remake of The Blob and Jim Carrey's The Mask.
1: So <laughs> The Good Mask. Well, is it? Uh, I don't know. It bears it, a rewatch, I think. Well,
2: it's certainly better than the others. <laughs> <laughs> that's not we shall not talk that's, about That's the a son low of bar, masks. but still.
0: <laughs> and of course this is a screenwriter. Um was Tony Perrier, who best I can see, really just has a background in advertising? And uh, Waylon Green, who did the Wild Bunch and Sorcerer, <laughs> and extensive uh, rewrites he also, done.
1: He also did RoboCop 2. Oh yes, which he did. Is do a, RoboCop which 2. is a great RoboCop. It's a great sequel to a amazing movie. Yeah, it's it's not so, rem,
0: it's not Gremlins 2, but it's good. It's not Gremlins 2. I'm not I'm not I'm not shedding on the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- this is a the <laughs> screenplay that had extensive rewrites. We have uh, William Wisher who. Did Terminator 2 with yeah. James Cameron. We have John Milius, of course, of Conan the Barbarian and Red Dawn
1: fame. Radio versus the Martians' favorite fascist. He's our favorite
0: fascist. <laughs> yes. It's like the worst thing he ever did was was give us Conan the Barbarian and Red Dawn. <laughs> yeah. And was the basis for Walter Subject. I'll take that over, you know, like, you know, mass graves. So, and then finally, Frank Darabont, who did the yeah. Shawshank Redemption, did a pass on this. Yeah. So. This is a script that saw a lot of hands before getting there, and I think Milius came in as a favor to Arnold Schwarzenegger to work on this script, to kind of punch it up and kind of Arnold it up. I think Milius is definitely a guy that knows what what an Arnold movie is. For sure. So, of course, you heard his voice a little bit earlier, but we're joined for the third time on this show by friend and a writer of New Pulp on Airship 27 and a columnist over at theatomicjumpshop.com. Greg Hatcher, welcome back, Greg.
2: Thanks very much. It's always a pleasure.
0: So, uh, Greg, this is your third time on. We already know your history with Arnold and Arnold movies. Do you have a history with Eraser? Did you see this one in theaters?
2: I did. Oh, nice. And, um, yeah, I think opening weekend, as a matter of fact. In 96, I was uh, single and uh, still kind of smarting from a divorce and not really doing very much in the way of socializing. But I had another buddy who was kind of in the same boat. Um, we would run into one another, well, let's say at uh, informal gatherings of people dealing with their substance abuse. I'm not supposed to admit being a member of such an organization, but uh, that was how I knew Art.
1: That like Witzack a little bit?
2: Um, a little bit. <laughs> and uh, and we would, you know, lots of times we'd be bored after a meeting. And he'd say, hey, let's go see a movie. And so we'd go see a movie and we'd just... Kind of pulled this one out of a hat, and I kind of fell in love with it. I'm, which is rare for me because unlike you two, I'm not really an Arnold guy. But Eraser impressed me as a connoisseur of crime fiction and spy fiction in general. And it was, you know, in the years since we've had lots of stories about witness protection, but I think this was one of the early ones. Hmm. I don't think uh, we we had too many other there was uh, let's see there was the client yeah yeah and uh there was that usa show in plain sight mm-hmm. um a couple of others i think there was a comedy somewhere that was kind of built was it on my Man. blue
1: heaven about uh, yeah with rick moranis yeah. and steve martin yeah the, yeah
2: but it was it was a thing that didn't really pop up a lot in crime stories and it was an interesting hook to have yeah, it's a, a, story a great
1: on. it's a great trope obviously
2: and yeah. um and the thing i liked about it was that it it stood on its own just as a piece of crime fiction, it could have just as easily been a vehicle for for Steve McQueen or for Charles mm. Bronson or you know it's it's interesting that Mike talked about having to Arnold it up because you can almost see the Arnold stuff and then the yeah. story stuff,
1: yeah, 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 yeah it, it's
2: the- very clearly the seams kind of show, but it doesn't hurt it or anything
0: no that was that was the thing that I really found with this is I've watched it twice to prepare for this episode and it's a breezy watch.
1: It's, yeah, it's one that it's, is. Like, it's a two-hour. It's an almost two-hour-long movie, but I mean, it's it, it it it's it's a fast clip. There's a reason why it was rewritten like half a dozen times.
0: But it doesn't you know. feel like a Frankenstein job. It doesn't no. feel like uh, something that you are frequently checking the status bar of the movie on. <laughs> um, I think I checked that once, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's been 45 minutes," and I thought it was like 20 minutes in. And yeah, it's a movie that moves and it has a lot of different set pieces, has a lot of different locations, different action pieces and it never feels like it's boring, which is something that a lot of movies have and i mean that's mm-hmm. just the nature of of watching something for 2 hours is that not everything can hold your attention all the time but this one just is such a quick watch. Yeah. And it does it feels like
1: a 90 minute movie. So we keep referring to it as it can you, Greg, do what we often ask, what we always ask our, our guests, if you could, and maybe a paragraph or two, try to tell our audience who might have not have seen, what is Eraser about?
2: Well, Eraser is ostensibly about um, Arnold is a, a, a U.S. marshal who specializes in literally in erasing people who, for whatever reason, the U.S. government needs to to hide. Usually they're they're witnesses that need to testify in court, and he needs to um, um, hide them until they can come out and do their thing in court. Other times it's guys who have testified, and now the mob is out to get them. So he needs to erase them and find them new lives somewhere. There's a great bit with uh, Pastorelli. Robert Pastorelli is uh, a former Witness that uh, Arnold ends up recruiting to help him out and he's got a new job is something so so not in his wheelhouse (laughs) that it's very it's it's a great gag. We'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, but um, but the the thing that really makes the movie work is that in this case, the witness is Vanessa Williams, and it's really the the emotional focus of the movie is on her. Right. And and so Arnold doesn't really have to carry a lot of emotional intensity other than his need to protect Vanessa Williams and how personally invested he gets in doing that. And that helps the movie a lot, at least for me, because when you ask Arnold to emote, then it suddenly be, turns into a thing that. That is not working very well. Right. <laughs> in, the, in this movie, he just needs to be angry.
1: Yeah. And a little bit. Sometimes a little annoyed. Yeah. Betrayed, annoyed, angry, suspicious. The, these suspicious. are all, these are all
2: things yes. in his range. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you know it works really well, and so. Arnold's Arnoldness doesn't take me out of the story the mm. way it often does, which you know. I'm sorry, guys, it just does. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a it's a it's feature, a, it's, not a bug. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's always Arnold being Arnold, but in this case, I can actually almost believe that he's really. Uh, a US marshal and mm-hmm. that he's really trying to do this. The thing that makes Vanessa Williams's case difficult is that she has stumbled onto actual government corruption. Mm-hmm. So now Arnold doesn't know who to trust. His entire department is turned on him. There's you know, he needs to go really off the grid and essentially erase himself so he can get his job done. And um and it's just a lot of fun. It's a very twisty plot and counterplot kind of action story which I always like. And uh, and it doesn't it doesn't ever feel contrived like there Mm. are there are action movies where suddenly, you know, in act three, there's the reveal that the good guy is really the bad guy. And it just feels pasted on. It looks like a rubber nose that you've put on a a sculptured bust or something. It's it's not right. it, It doesn't fit. And there's none of that here. Even though the the script is this Frankenstein creation that's passed through I don't know how many hands, everybody involved in polishing it seemed to understand that it was about making the story more streamlined
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and
2: not putting in a lot of extra action bits that are just kind of...
0: Yeah, the action bits come in natural places where it's like, okay, they're on a plane, they've just betrayed Arnold... He's onto them. Now we have an action scene. And it just kind of escalates sort of naturally. It doesn't hit these hard points in ways that sort of take you out of it and go wait what what is he doing and with these action sequences frequently go to really wonderfully absurd places with yeah. Arnold's literally in a parachute firing a
1: gun at a plane that's trying to ram him <laughs>
0: yeah. but it's like we worked up there gradually i mean and this is like the f- the frog in the boiling water again right. well whereas, no, like-
1: there's frequently some outrageous shit for sure but it doesn't feel a it doesn't feel out of place for an arnold movie and b this movie this movie has a sheen on it of of, you know, they would, it, you could say it would be hyper-reality, but really it's just like gonzo reality, where it doesn't I mean, like most Arnold movies, it doesn't matter why these things are actually happening. Things are logical like the way that they progress, but you know, the fact that Vanessa Williams has is facing down the fact that her entire life is going to be erased, and her boyfriend of many years has just been murdered in front of her, and she has like she's barely just a little bit unsettled To she's be like, fair, uh, she, had, she had dumped that guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but Really, she seems to be everyone in this movie seems to be not not very phased by anything. Oh, that's that's your typical, you know,
0: action movie thing. Because otherwise these movies would be two hours of people crying in a corner. (laughs) Because that's how I would react. I'd be like, okay, I'm in the safe I'm in the safe house in Chinatown, just in the bathtub crying. (laughs) And that's me as Vanessa Williams for the rest of this movie. Well, but see,
2: this has been a thing that we've had to accept about cop and action. Sure. Movies and TV shows. I mean, really and truly have you stood there with someone and had a conversation full of witty quips while, you know, four feet away, the corpse of the guy really? that just tried <laughs> to kill you yeah. is leaking blood and brains into the carpet. What, what kind of sociopath does that make you? <laughs> I know. But, was, but we all accept yeah. it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, right.
2: You know, in, in the movies, that just makes you cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true. That you really should notice that there's an explosion behind you. I mean, that's, that you know, but again, it's the cinematic nature of it. This is, like you said, that Gonzo reality.
2: Isn't there a movie somewhere with I think it was Will Farrell or something it was called The Other Guys, yeah. where they turned that trope on its ear where the explosion goes off behind them and they're writhing on the ground going, God I can't hear anything, God oh Jesus Christ, that almost killed us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh God! So wait, we didn't mention what's probably the most important part of this movie. I mean, it's an Arnold movie about him being the bat, no, the most badass witness protection marshal ever. Um, it is the rail gun, the rail gun. So the MacGuffin That's- in this movie, I guess it's the MacGuffin, right? Yeah, yeah. is an as an actual gun. That uh, Cyrex or Cyrez, by the way, it has both names because there's a story behind that. But yeah. the evil corporation sounds the, like a character from uh, Mortal Kombat. Actually, he's the cyborg guy, Cyrez. isn't he? That's Cyrax. Cyrez. So. Close enough.
0: So, so basically, this this corporation, this defense contractor that Vanessa Williams works for, is building a super gun. And I guess the way Arnold describes it later is the smallest version of this gun that he's ever seen is on a battleship. But they've turned it into an assault rifle that you plug into a battery pack on your <laughs> on your belt, and uh, it fires these super bullets that can go through basically anything—cars, um, walls, walls. Yeah. And when they hit you, it's like getting hit with like a harpoon uh, fired from like right. a whaling ship.
1: So they have like they have basically two different ways. There's a railgun, which is a thing, which is like we're just going to shoot. Projectiles really fast, yeah, Um, and And then like concentric smoke circles that they shoot out, and that's pure like that's just pure uh, SFX magic right there. And then there's an they call it an EMP gun, which is something entirely different. An EMP gun is like a blast of radiation that that disables stuff so this movie doesn't even know what it is essentially it's just a a like the highest tier weapon from a first person shooter video game yeah it's what it it is
0: and it has a scope on it that basically has x-ray vision that you can look through a wall you can see people's skeletons moving around back there it literally locks on like Star Wars missile style <laughs> yes. to Vanessa Williams' <laughs> ex-boyfriend's heart. <laughs> yeah. And it's pumping there. And I'm like, oh, my God, what sadist invented? Th- oh, of course, it's a defense contractor. Right. Never mind. <laughs> but um, but yeah, she gets wind that her company is going to sell this to the Russians and other uh, various ne'er-do-wells around the world and terrorists and create a whole new age of, of terrorism. This is back when terrorism had no ideology like Cobra and G.I. Joe. Right. We're just like, ha, ha, ha. I will do all the crime.
1: And, uh, and that's actually how the terrorist guy actually talks. in yeah, this Yeah. Yeah. He kind of looks like Yanni, which is a no, little yeah, bit yeah, He off looks putting. like he's from Greece, but he's supposed to be a Russian. He yeah. looks like he should. He's having his Turkish coffee or whatever. so.
0: So anyways, Vanessa Williams finds out about all of this and, and goes to the FBI and they send her undercover and she goes down into this uh, computer bay to get the data. And, Oh my god! It's a time capsule. Those are the little parts of this movie that I really like, which is the inside of this um, mainframe. I do not
1: know computer talk. Right. Most of most of the computer stuff is this that they show in this movie is like the standard '90s garbage, which you're just like hitting keys on the you know the keyboard really fast, and these graphical interfaces showing a 3D wireframe of the building they're in, or so all that stupid shit. The I think the uh, the information retrieval thing is real. I think, I think they went real. into somebody's computer center. It's like I think you saw it in Rogue One. It's like there's a little robot arm, and there's like a cylindrical room full of tape drives or something. I don't know. And, and they grab stuff, It grabs it, and then plugs it in so you can read it or whatever. That was the cool. That was the cool part. I mm-hmm. all the the computer stuff in this movie is shit, but that part was like, oh, that's cool. It's it's cool. To, it's, yeah,
0: that was like brand new at the time, and also mini discs are a real oh, yeah. plot element of this one. Were those a thing? I don't know because I kept for th-
2: about ten minutes in the mid nineties. Mini discs were a thing because you could mail them to people and they were promotional things. Because I I know... Oh, I know what you're saying. I got one for uh, the TV show Lost. Oh, weird. I don't remember how I acquired it, but it was maybe two and a half inches across
1: it can sit in the inner tray of the cd exactly i think this was something a little different mike i think you're saying i think this is a little wider than those and it had a smaller strip and the way i was thinking about it was is this is only gonna gonna have like four tracks of a guns N' roses album on it not the whole album because it looks like it's just too small but it's it's futuristic tech so but that was the thing is it felt like it was a real thing that like maybe the
0: parent company of the producers work trying to make, like, I don't know if Sony or, you know, some company that was sure. doing this. I, it was I probably a probably a promotional partner, and they really wanted to make this a thing, and there was a real sense that this was the new technology. Yeah. Like, when you watch an really old movie, it's like, ooh, a touchstone phone, you know, and it has that kind of vibe. <laughs> like, they want to make, they really want to highlight it, and it's shot in such a way to make it look like this is a really cool thing. Like, this is cooler than the computer you have at home. Like, I think there was, like, um... I think Batman and Robin had that same disc in the late 90s where they're looking up things on Alfred's disease on this mini disc. Oh, right,
1: right, 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 right.
0: And it never really comes to anything. It was kind of like laser disc or something where it just was really popular to a certain kind of like AV nerd for a couple years.
1: And then it never really went anywhere. So... Yeah, I've never seen that 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 version of it in real life. I've seen... I, I own some of the ones that Greg is talking about, the ones that are look like they would fit in a regular CD player. But certainly these are these definitely are anachronisms, for sure. Oh, God. But Weird, I mean, at the time, those things would have been incredible.
0: Yeah. Uh, you would have been like, wow. And that's, I kind of love that um, watching older movies that put an emphasis on technology is the way there's kind of these glamour shots of things that
1: feel you know, outdated now. Like a cell phone? Yeah. Oh my god, Arnold's cell phone Oh, god. It gets yeah. at least two insert shots in this movie.
0: Is it a flip phone?
1: It is a flip phone. Yeah. Okay,
0: it's a flip phone. It still has that little plastic nub antenna on it.
1: Yeah, he has to pull that shit out. Oh Does god. It, you don't get the reception if you don't pull like the point zero 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 five cent piece of plastic that's you know in the in the molded frame of the cell phone. And in ninety six that was like the fucking
0: future. I mean you had to be like Zach Morris Rich to have shit like that. <laughs> But it was it was crazy to see stuff like that. So she gets caught, of course, and taken to the principal's office. Um, James you know, Cromwell, James Cromwell, who what a made, waste! I know. Speaking of waste, that was one of the greatest <laughs> on screen suicides that I've seen. That wasn't in like a Paul Verhoeven movie where he realizes he's fucked. She's wearing a wire. He's like, "You don't know who you are dealing with." And he puts this pistol at, from his his desk in his mouth and fires it. And it blows out the window behind his head and all these papers start swirling around.
1: (laughs) And I fucking loved it. I was like, holy shit, I feel like I'm watching Robocop. (laughs) It's just they they took and it was Gibbs Cromwell such a great actor and he had like 30 seconds on screen.
2: They're, the cast of this movie is one of its great assets. It yeah. seemed to me like these are mostly people that normally wouldn't be caught dead working with Arnold.
1: It's yeah. true.
2: I, yeah. You know, it's like it, it is so not their kind of movie and yet here they are in it.
1: Oh, I was going to say after Alien Nation, James Conn... can if after James Gunn sits across from Mandy Patinkin wearing an alien head, I think Sitting across from Arnold is not that big of a stretch. (laughs) That's true.
2: It wasn't a big leap for Mr. Khan, who was definitely on the downside of his career arc. But Vanessa Williams was on the way. Oh, yeah. Um, James Cromwell for Crying Out Loud. I mean, he hadn't done, I don't think he did First Contact.
0: That was the same year, I think. Oh, okay. And James Coburn is playing sort of the guy who runs WITSEC Right. uh, Yeah. As Arnold's boss. I kept waiting through this whole movie because I hadn't seen this for probably 20 years when I watched it again for this. I kept waiting for the reveal with uh, James Coburn, I told you not to trust me, John. But it never happened. I was like, holy shit, he's actually a good guy. I thought we were going to get another level of the conspiracy, and it was kind of fucking refreshing that he was just actually a good boss. Right. I was
2: kind of waiting for that one, too, and I was I was very pleased to uh, to see that it only went so high. Yeah. <laughs> because Well, because one of my complaints with these government conspiracy things is the whole bad... Program whatever it is that whatever evil scheme hinges on getting thirty people to keep quiet for no other reason than they're collecting a paycheck. Right. Yeah. You know. And again, in real life, there's there's just no goddamn way.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a bigger paycheck by selling out the people that you're. There's working a bigger for.
2: paycheck by selling out. There's going to be the girlfriend that hears about it or knows about it. Um, and the girlfriend is going to nag and say, you know, honey, I just have nightmares about the men, you know, from from NSA coming to our house and taking you away. And, <laughs> and, you know, can't you find a way? I mean, come on.
0: These things could collapse in a thousand different ways. Exactly. But the simpler it is, the fact that it's really just a partnership between basically three three people. There's the criminal elements, there's the undersecretary of defense, and then there's James Caan. And maybe the... Small group of people around James Kahn.
2: That was what I liked. Was that I know that there's a bit somewhere. I, I'm afraid I, my memory is not good enough to nail it down. But there was a bit where Khan or one of his flunkies is having an exchange, and it's like, are they our people? Like you know, clearly there's a demarcation. This right. is something that James Kahn has to be conscious of all the time. That you know right. he can only make certain moves at certain times. It it added a layer of plausibility to it, and and. You know, as a fan of this kind of genre fiction, I understand that realism is not really on the table, but I like to see them throw it a bone once in a while. Sure, sure. And uh, and that's one of the things I really like about this.
0: So um, Arnold plays a character who's named John Kruger. Another John. Yeah, he's he's yeah. a lot of Johns, but he gets yes. called John, John, John. There's like there's one theme that's kind of famous in this movie with James Conn is like Ah, John, John. John, 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 John. (laughs) Like, he's saying it over and over. It's on the plane. He says it so much. So it's like, this movie does not want you to forget his name. But in the end credits, Arnold's character is listed as Eraser. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's not a title. He's John Kruger. They introduce him at least three times. He's not like the Punisher. Nobody calls him that. He does say, you've just been erased, because that's his job. But, you know, he doesn't have a code name that they no. ever say, he's just John Kruger, or he's John. No one ever calls him like, oh, it's Eraser! <laughs> Eraser 006. Yeah. 006. So, um, the thing I kind of find interesting about the character Arnold plays in this movie is it's a variation of an Arnold one. He's not just playing John Matrix from um, Commando, where he's or he's playing Dutch from Predator, these sort of blunt object guys who just go in face first. There's no real subterfuge is no real plan. You just overpower something with pure machismo. Um, John Kruger is a bit brainier than most other Arnold characters. He tends to do clever tricks. I think he, when they, when they, when there's this thing where this is all part of James Conn's plan to find out where Vanessa Williams is, where she first has to manufacture this fake crisis where, oh my God, all our witnesses are being killed, but really it's him and his people killing them. And they first go after, and James Con kills one of his own witnesses, to create the plausibility that somebody might already know where Vanessa Williams is so they go out to this cabin and um basically it's the witness protection guys versus a bunch of assassins that James Khan has hired and is now betraying because he doesn't want to give himself up and um the the thing that's kind of neat with Arnold is that he does things like okay check okay the car's warm. These guys haven't been here this long. He goes in and uh, he pretends to, he breaks a window as if he just crashed through it. And the guy comes into the room and Arnold kicks him out. He does a lot of tricks. He turns at the beginning of the movie a gas stove into a bomb. Right. He uses a, a, a refrigerator as a shield. I mean, he does things like this that are just a
1: lot more... He nuked the fridge before Indiana Jones nuked the fridge. Yeah,
0: and he also gets a, a drill bit shot through his hand. <laughs> that gun that the bad guy has at the beginning of this movie is fucking bonkers. It looks like one of those cannons that they use to shoot T-shirts at people. <laughs> the,
1: t- at like a the merch of... gun? A, sh- a shot from the merch gun? It's like a merch
0: yes. gun, except it shoots this giant like this metal pill. And then that thing explodes into the air and shoots drill bits. And I'm like, what sick son of a bitch invented this gun? (laughs) Just shoot a bomb in there. It's like you just it's like somebody is like, Well, I don't they don't like, Well, like it could be spikes. But what if I make it drills? And this is like one of two or three times in the movie where Arnold gets stabbed with something and has to pull something out of himself. Mm-hmm. And he has to lift his hand off of this drill and I'm like, Oh, Jesus Christ.
2: See, to me that's like if Milius had just signed it. Yeah. <laughs> It
1: wasn't quite, uh, you know, being crucified, pulling a vulture off of your shoulders with your teeth, but it was pretty close. It was pretty close. Um,
0: (laughs) Oh, so (laughs) is it really necessary to destroy somebody's birth certificate when you're erasing them? Because, I mean, the idea with Vanessa Williams is that she's going to get to go back to being Vanessa Williams at the end of this. She doesn't have to be uh, Deborah, I think is the fake name they give her, Mm -hmm. um, forever, but he still burns it anyways, and it just seems like... As somebody, I I changed my last name in two thousand and two, took my mother's maiden name, and just the fucking process of standing <laughs> in line at the DMV, and then you have to go to the Social Security office, and then you have to
1: get voter registration. Well, it's
0: like this this setting this shit back up again is way more. Well, the good annoying. thing about
1: Witsec is they apparently can do that all in their own office by using some scanners and. Like a little light pen, a little tablet with a little pen, moving dental records around. Exactly. They, got, they can do it all there. Don't worry. They got so it all the, covered. You
2: know, you need to unclench because it's the 90s and you can do it all with keyboards and, and <laughs> like, you know, ske- I'm sure that they they just sat at a keyboard with like a skeleton map of the social security building <laughs> yes. and and handled it. <laughs> um, yeah, has got the all taken care of. Don't worry. Well, hang on. Mike brought up something that I really love. And it's a trope that you don't normally see in an Arnold movie very much. And that is the trope where the bad guy is gloating and he's having his evil speech of evil and he knows that he's winning. And then suddenly the good guy pulls a twist and where you realize that the bad guy is not actually winning. The bad guy has walked into a trap. Yeah. And uh, and Arnold gets moments like that. It's one of my favorite tropes ever. Hmm.
0: The the bad Um, guy sort of outsmarts himself, and you realize, oh, wait. Yeah,
2: the bad guy outsmarts himself, or, uh, you know, the good guy pulls out the thing that we saw in Act 1, and then we never see it again until this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you
1: talking about that cheap piece of mail-order shit? Is that what you're talking yes, about? Yes, the, the knife that comes out of his belt buckle, which I think is a cheap piece of mail-order shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was my favorite line in the entire movie, actually. I can't believe he hit me with that cheap piece of mail-order shit. Yeah, but
2: that's just one of them. Truthfully, right. the, the moment I was thinking of was the alligators. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Which is, you know, let's face it. That that lifts it up over yeah, and well over awesome. This
1: was definitely one of the trailer shots I think was the CGI I think they call them Crocagators. Yeah. Because <laughs> they decided that they didn't want to the animators and the puppet puppet makers. It's part puppet, part CGI. Very early CGI. This yeah. is like a year after Jurassic Park, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wait, isn't Jurassic Park 95? no? no this is ninety three, and this oh, okay. is ninety six. So we're in the same ballpark. It's it's uh, they're not they're not quite crocodiles. They're not quite alligators. They're crocagators, but it doesn't matter because they're just there to dispatch a room full of thugs who firing automatic weapons. They, Are those they, out they of the move
2: up? like fucking wolverines. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's no reptile in the world that moves that fast after it's just been blown out of its aquarium. And
0: these things, they must have been starving them in that tank, because, man, they're like, whoa, that looks like meat. And two of them grab this one henchman and rip his arm off, and another guy just gets his head eaten. I mean, it's just, it's chow time. And they... They just go to town on these henchmen, and then, of course, they they turn on Arnold, and this is my favorite thing in this movie. It's just such a ridiculous moment, and I only caught it watching it the second time, and I'm like, oh, hold on a minute here. So uh, the last one comes for Arnold, and Arnold has only one bullet in his gun. His second-to-last bullet he used to shoot open the, the aquarium mm-hmm. and let all the gators out. This gator runs at Arnold, and he pulls his gun on it. And the gator swats the gun out of Arnold's hand with his tail. And I'm like, holy shit, the gators are learning. (laughs) And, of course, he has to die for it later. And that's where we get maybe one of the best lines in the movie, where he shoots the gator in its open mouth through its head,
1: which is how you kill an animal with a gun, and says, your luggage. I think that was... It wasn't the only Arnoldism, but it was definitely the best one of the movies. It was... For sure. yeah. <laughs> if there was
0: ever a one that came from the versions of this script after Arnold had been cast, yeah. I guarantee you that was one of them. Yeah. yeah. But, um... Arnold, again, has some pretty nice feats of strength in this movie, like at the beginning when he's saving Robert Pastorelli, um, and he's getting beaten up in the in the house by all these like mob guys who... By the way, like Dean Martin's like, That's Amore is playing. <laughs> is that Robert Pastorelli's music, or did the mobsters, these Italian guys, bring that with
1: them? That, that's how they do that. That's how they whistle while they work. Yeah, <laughs> they
0: they're like, That's Amore. They drop a boombox. <laughs> while they're beating on people. <laughs>
1: But, Murphy uh, Murphy Brown's house painter, you mean? Yes, Murphy Brown's yeah. house painter. Yeah. Um, oh,
0: man, Eldon. Um, and then, of course, that bad guy goes out, and this is, again, one of those Arnold traps where he, he hears a sound, because the door goes,
1: <laughs> and he
0: steps outside, and... You did that really well, Mike. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he, uh, he gets
1: lifted onto the roof by garrote wire around his yeah, neck. That was definitely a supernatural move. You'd expect a vampire to be doing that. Not but notice Arnold.
0: that it doesn't trigger any sort of, you know, like, oh, okay, that's bullshit because it's Arnold. And you're like, yeah. yeah,
1: I believe this man could lift another human <laughs> being by their neck in a piece of wire. Um but yeah the movie completely out of the door frame like yeah. at least 10 feet in the air all the way onto the roof
0: <laughs> yes. like his feet are gone he's not even dangling there uh he's just gone he's lifted as if he was picked up by like a
1: UFO <laughs> No I just love all of the gratuitous neck snaps Oh he's, god he snacks sn- snacks he snacks and snaps there's a guy who is, uh, of course, if you're in a home invasion and you're a bad guy, you go to raid the fridge, right? As you're doing your nefarious deeds, and there's a dude with a drumstick in his mouth, and Arnold sneaks up on him and then basically breaks his neck in the freezer door. Yes! <laughs> I've never seen that before. Oh, God. You get the impression that
0: John Kruger is a guy who snaps a lot of necks. <laughs> He's going and, for style points. And every so often, I mean, probably, you know, you got to keep it fresh. Yeah. You gotta fall back in love with your job every so often, and you gotta do these little things to keep it interesting. And I mean, yeah, he could just like having
2: a fist fight with an alligator. Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: right. Yeah, it's like these are the sort of things where he's like, you know what, that was fun, you know. But yeah, he just has to find new ways. He kills a lot of guys. You might as well, you know, mix it up a little bit. I mean, he didn't see. He's like, holy shit, I can kill guys with alligators. (laughs) Um, But the the next snap is one of my favorites because he does that too. He also does like this weird. Judo reversal at the end of the movie catches the guy and does that move I love again the DDT neck snap which where he catches the guy in reverse headlock and lifts the guy's whole body by his head and lets that break the guy's neck.
1: (laughs) There's
0: there's, whoever was in doing Foley work in this movie was clearly having a lot of fun because there was a lot of celery broken in this movie. It
1: was it was fun. (laughs) <laughs> Wait. So the 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 uh, the world of reptiles uh, luggage alligator scene happens, and then Vanessa Williams escapes, and then they've got to hide out. And so this is where I guess you get a little more like, a little more depth to John Kruger's world, and he hides out at the Poshest Church on Man- the island of Manhattan, the Poshest Catholic Church. And there's a guy who is. One of his former guys that he disappeared. I guess he were the Colombians or something. I think it was like a cartel sort of thing they yeah. were implying. But it, so it's they, kinda, they get they have forty-five seconds of this guy being like, "Now I'm doing God's work," and this movie stops all of its sort of neck snapping, animal slaughtering joy to be pious for about a minute, and then it immediately cuts to a gay bar.
0: Yeah, the thing I, I kind of love
2: with Arnold in this movie I don't is even understand. Is well, a, see, again, you're describing a great, great crime fiction trope. Um, Ian Fleming used to use it in the James Bond novels quite a bit the the hero that is so badass that he can move into any setting oh yeah and be the coolest guy in the room that knows right. everybody
0: right yeah and
2: that I think that's what's going on here this is Arnold Arnold's badassery as a witness protection guy yeah he's plugged into everything and now that the government has turned on him he turns to his private coolness network that he has sure. established yeah he's over like the, the shadow where and, it's like yeah. all the people a, that he saves become and, operatives yeah. yeah yeah and that's what I, that's one of the things that i really like about it. i love these movies i mean we talked about it with john wick the idea that they establish their own weird underground rules for the story that they're telling, you know, John wick did it. Roadhouse did it. And eraser does it. And that's one of the things I like about.
0: It. Yeah. So, uh, okay. We, we go to the gay bar and when the first chords of it's rating men start playing, <laughs> I could feel my throat <laughs> tighten because I'm like, okay, this is 1996.
1: Oh boy. Here we go. This is, this is not quite pol- the police Academy movies. We're no. about 10 years after the police Academy I movies was, and the I, blue oyster I, or whatever. As as far <laughs> as a uh, gay
0: panic, homophobia moments, I was pleasantly surprised by how non-offensive all of this was compared to what yeah. it could have been oh, in 1996. Course. There's no gay panic jokes. There's none of. I mean, if you compare that to the the stripper in Terminator 3, oh, yeah, talk
1: to the hand guy, where you're just like, that doesn't age well. Um, I actually think the one part about it that I, there's a, there's a little bit of cringe from the his. Uh, pastorelli's new job he's got a bartender kevin who's there with him working alongside of him and he's like oh i gotta gonna ask him if it's okay if we leave now and kevin has the oh it's he looks rough sort of thing um but uh, what i do like is that vincent pastorelli's or robert pastorelli robert pastorelli Not, not vincent um he says he says like, don't let on that I'm straighter and I don't want to break any hearts around here. And I was like, that was, I think that was actually pretty funny that he just, the character had a little bit of a sensitivity of the fact that like, he had to like, he had to go with the flow, that sort of thing. I don't, I don't feel like that was at all homophobic at all. I feel like there no, was actually a little, no. like a little bit of heart, a tiny well, bit of heart <sighs> injected into here's that.
2: Here's how you tell. Does it, does the joke diminish the gay man in the scene? And it doesn't. Kevin was like his his co-conspirator, his friend, his yeah. guy that's helping him out. So there's no homophobia there.
1: I, it's I just, feel like
2: this is this is a guy that's aware of his workplace conditions.
1: Arnold Arnold's reaction may have had been a slight bit of that. Oh, Arnold just te- I think I took it as Arnold sort of teasing him, but it never
0: came across as Arnold punching down. It no, fe- it no, feels like I would was, certainly say that. Yeah. yeah, I I got that about it, and that. To me, it was like it felt like we had just literally dodged the thing that would have torpedoed this movie, because a lot of things that came out in in 1996 would have been exactly as awful as you think. And you're just like, oh, God, it's I mean, there's a lot of movies like that. Like the best example I can think of is is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is an amazing movie. That has one moment that just makes you go, oh, man, this is going to be harder to show this to future generations now. It's that bit where they hug and they immediately have a gay panic moment and yeah. drop a slur and you're like, oh, we were doing so well. <laughs> and this movie doesn't hit that point And it was just actually really kind of refreshing that it felt like we were steering right at it. And then we didn't go there.
1: No, I mean, the only thing that is all retrograde... I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's anachron—that's now anachronistic. It's a retrograde is just how often James Con refers to balls and anuses. Yeah. Like, that's when he wants to make a some sort of simile... Or a metaphor, it always has to do with balls and anuses. He says something like, I want to lock this city down so tight his balls ache. <laughs> so, that's... that's, But, I mean, that's just tough guy nonsense. But when
2: it's the villain, it doesn't sting. Right. I mean, it's true. it's just one more shade of him being a creep.
1: Yeah. I gotta say,
0: James Con's plan for finding Vanessa Williams was really smart. And the idea of, okay, we're going to create this crisis of, oh, the witnesses are being killed... Hey Arnold, we need to protect your witness. And oh, I'm gonna, you know, plant a photograph of Vanessa Williams on this as dead assassin, and make you go, oh, they know where she is. And, you know, basically... But, but Arnold
1: obviously sees through that at the at the get-go. Oh,
0: yeah, he sees through it, but at the same time, you know that he's going to go back to Vanessa Williams and we can try to tail him. So this is a pretty well-covered plan. I mean, he does drug him on the plane because he, he gets him to say, what does he say? It's in Atlanta, but he knows it's in New York. So Arnold does see through it and lies to James Caan. But... um then you get to what was the name of that that guy on the plane? The young Monroe? guy, Monroe. Yeah, uh, Deputy Monroe. I have never seen a more dead meat character introduced <laughs> yes. in any movie. It's like, oh, hey, it's Deputy Babyface, and he's going to show us around <laughs> the plane. That's obviously going to become an action set piece later. Oh, hey, you know, he's and of course when you get the impression that he's a guy who's really good at his job and he's sort of above all of this and he's just this young, fresh faced kid who's excited to do this job and he's not corrupt and you're like, oh you're fucking dead it's like i see a bunch of villains and arnold and you are going to be caught in the crossfire
1: (laughs) i we we sort of talked about the uh the action set piece on the plane a little bit and as i was watching it again i realized i think i've seen this movie once before on dvd my friend bought it it was a warner movie it's a warner movie right i think is it it was, it was a, one of the very early big studio releases, new movie studio releases on DVD. Um, and I remember watching the train sequence at the end over and over again because my friend wanted to try out his new subwoofer mm-hmm. the <laughs> or whatever. Um, I had seen the scene where Arnold jumps out of the side of the plane I mean, eat your heart out, Tom Cruise. He, like, is hanging on the side of a plane, and then he jumps out, and he has to shield his face as he falls through the smoke coming from this destroyed engine. Um, and I think I'd probably seen that scene a oh, hundred times from TV commercials and from seeing the trailer on Blockbuster videotapes and stuff. That is I think my earliest memory of there being what is now ubiquitous for these movies is the trailer shot, the trailer special effect shot where there's something just amazing that gives you tries to give you a flavor of how awesome the movie is and now every big budget movie has at least one of those more, usually more than one of those i can't think of one an earlier movie that had that kind of a shot of him going falling back oh, through the smoke yeah the, there's kind of two of those shots in this movie one of them of course is the going through the smoke but the
0: other one is when he runs into the world of reptiles and he does this flying dive while oh, yes. firing his gun and kills two bad guys yeah. and lands next to Vanessa Williams that is a total
1: trailer shot yeah. that is that is all about in but one I'm image about what the is one this movie? where the special effects the one where they've clearly oh, yeah. spanned tens of thousands of dollars to get the you know these three adjacent shots there because it this looks amazing in a trailer.
0: Oh yeah, and it's it's kind of great as that scene keeps escalating into different action scenes. And I kind of like action scenes that have little mini action scenes sort of put in them where you first have fighting on the on the plane, then you have he kicks open the door and then you have him struggling to get a parachute on after he's already been thrown out of the plane and he's chasing it. Then you have the plane coming after yes. him. I want him. All over this windshield! (laughs) And he shoots out the wind... I gotta say, this pilot is fucking amazing, first of all. Because this guy is working under very stressful work conditions (laughs) with a gun to his
1: head. One engine and the plane is out, and he's having to turn it around. And it's probably not easy to turn around one of those big airliners. Right.
0: Um, And then he manages to safely land it. After Arnold shoots out half of the windshield, <laughs> yeah. so right. this dude is a fucking champ. Yeah, that's true. He's the most. He's fuck you, Wedge Antilles. <laughs> this is my favorite pilot extra.
1: <laughs> this guy's amazing. <laughs> And does it all with James Conn screaming at him. That's true. He did have a gun in the back of his head the whole time. That would yeah. be... You know,
2: I, I don't think I could tie my shoes with James Conn <laughs> screaming <laughs> at me with a gun to my head. I, was, I would just be destroyed.
0: <laughs> I, would, I do not want to fuck with James <laughs> Caan.
2: <Conn>. I've <laughs> seen The Godfather. You you guys are kind of circling around something, a point I wanted to make, which is that James Khan is one of the very rare worthy adversaries yeah for sure that's yeah. i would say he, so he, yeah. you know the most arnold movies the bad guy is such that if arnold actually gets him alone in a room he's going to be a grease spot he's just not going to be able to handle it and so most of the contest of the movie is arnold fighting his way through obstacles to get to the actual bad guy and punch his lights out, this is not one of those. Arnold actually has to run away from James Con yeah. he it, they are more or less evenly matched at least in the fictional world of this movie yeah and um, and that was kind of a rare treat for me to see a bad guy that that is not scared of Arnold
1: yeah and and probably I think uh, the my favorite element of the movie is <clears throat> after they uh, they run away from the zoo, they um they have to go back oh that we there's a little bit because they have to go back to Cyrez Corporation um and the favor that he asks of of uh Pastorelli is that he has to go fake a heart attack in the lobby of the Cyrex I remember, it was a Cyrex building. Wait, wait, let's let's talk about this for a little bit. <laughs> so this is, the setup to this is hilarious because it's an insert shot yeah. of Alka-Seltzer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the
1: name of this corporation, the reason that sometimes oh, you'll see.
0: see a screenshot that says Cyrez and sometimes it says Cyrex and why it feels a little fudged when people say the name is that they changed it after they made this movie that, um, it was called Cyrex and, um, they say Cyrex, which is I, a lot of the times it feels a little ADR-ish on just that one word. Mm-hmm. There is a, uh, a software company called Cyrix mm-hmm. that caught wind that it sounded like they were the villain of an Arnold movie <laughs> and they wrote a letter. Which um,
2: seems to me should be a feature in Arnold. Yeah.
0: It's <laughs> yes. just like, look at all the cool stuff we have at our facility and at any time we can drop these bulletproof gates down on people. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> We don't have bulletproof glass behind James, um, James Cromwell, but right. we can fix that. <laughs> um, so Cyrix was not happy with it, and they actually had to spend over a million dollars digitally altering logos on uniforms and the front of the building and ADRing a lot of stuff into people's mouths to say Cyrez. Um, and it does feel weird, but it's it's kind of weird. There's a couple that they missed. There's a couple Cyrexes in the background, but apparently it was like a million dollars to fix this. That's insane. So, yeah, they, they get into there again because they can only access the disc in the bowels of
1: this company, yep. the
0: place that Vanessa Williams was at the beginning of the movie.
1: Th- this is the part of the screenwriters know nothing about anything computers because they're like, it's hack-proof. It's like... Oh, we can only hack it inside the building. And then they sort of change the goalpost as to where it can only be opened up in the records room where they had the spinning sort of data retrieval arms. Oh, wait, no, there are other places that could be. Like- yeah,
0: it also works so- in James Cromwell's office, which is completely unguarded and has a hole in the side of the building. Now.
1: <laughs> so they they uh, they have to break in and, and but they can't go in guns blazing because they're all there. So they send Pastorelli with the most ridiculous pizza delivery outfit short of putting this guy in a pink bunny suit <laughs> what is it it's like this big bo- boofy cap and this bright red it's jacket it's like a, it's like a huggy bear hat yeah
2: yeah it's
0: it's this just, it's just like it's obviously like hey i'm a pizza guy and it's like it's, it's like most of the time the guys who deliver pizzas are not like the most italian guy in the world
2: <laughs> usually
0: it's just a high school kid um, but in this case, it's, it's Robert Pastorelli. Hey, hey, it <laughs> uh, th- 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 makes the piece authentic. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we even get a cultural stereotype to deliver your pie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, the Alka-Seltzer thing is a nice touch. He starts having a seizure. And of course, Arnold and Vanessa Williams dress as EMTs to go in. And that's right. how they get into the building.
1: Right. And uh, he gets taken to the infirmary and a early Cameron Mannheim Plays the EMT that tries to shock paddle him back into... He's, Repeatedly. Re, yes, yes. He has to take shocks to the chest. Um, so they go into Syres, the Cyrex. Cyrez. Who cares? Um, they get the data. There's lots of more tapping on keyboards. And so they know where, it's gonna, where the deal's going to go down. It's at the dock's at midnight. Okay, you could have just guessed. They could have just guessed what time of day it was. Cut to... Them going to meeting the, the stealth heroes of this movie. Yeah. The uni- mafia, the stereotypical union mafia Italian guys.
2: I just want to insert here briefly. When I saw this in the theater with my buddy Art, Art is a dock worker. He's a he's a <laughs> he's a full throated union supporter, and he just about levitated with delight yes. <laughs> at this plot yeah, development.
1: They, they are they're definitely the heroes. Uh, they're absolutely the heroes. I love that. It's I the think, most out I, of
2: shape. Pastorelli like- has some line that I thought Art was going to stand up and cheer. I think it was something like "Don't fuck with the union." Yeah, <laughs> yes. and Art literally had this fist pumping, <laughs> yeah, right next to me in the theater. <laughs> and, <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh. and we we support labor here at uh, Radio versus yeah, the yes. Martians,
2: especially
1: when they're killing Russian mobsters. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, yeah.
1: So they so they come in, they recruit these guys, and it's like they don't, you know, they don't give a shit. They, of course, they're going to move these weapons. We heard about that, uh, but it's going to happen on your docks. And he's like, now that I hadn't heard. So then it's personal, right? Because mm-hmm. people who are not union men are offloading on their docks, uh, and thus begins the last pretty long action set piece uh, of the movie where you get to actually see those video games, first-person shooter weapons in action.
2: Well, really, it should just be called Chekhov's Super Gun. Yes,
0: yes, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they do make good use of it. They don't waste it. They really blow the shit out of all sorts of stuff. They blow the shit out of trucks. I mean, they just straight up blow up anything. So the idea, they really kind of also make it a cool action sequence, but also set the stakes of how dangerous it would be if these, world, these guns got out into the world. And... um What's kind of cool is that there, there's one of the one of the Italian Bob guys, one of the Union guys, is um, really big on this rifle that he has, and he really <laughs> wants to show he I, I can make that shot from over there, and they kind of give him crap, and he fakes fucking makes the shot. He makes like a he shoots the the super gun through the
1: barrel. Yeah, later. It's, the, it's the Tom Berenger sniper shot. He yeah. shoots him right through the uh, the the, ey- the eyepiece, and it's like yeah. most
0: movies wouldn't have given that hero moment to that guy, but it was kind of neat. That that one guy who's just like yeah he got his shot off and also I do like there's a bit with, um, one of the the mobster guys where he's just like, uh, he's like yeah these guys are goddamn communists and he's like actually the one of the mobster guys is like they're not communists anymore they're like a, a liberated federation of independent states <laughs> yes and I, just kind of a neat little thing like that and I it, it's stuff that makes it. More than just these guys are a collection. They're they're kind of comedic and stuff, but it was kind of fun,
1: right? Uh, and and obviously the the jo- the entire visual joke is is that old out of weight guys can save the day.
0: Yeah, and
1: I'm all for that.
0: You hashtag representation matters. I feel like I'm oh. on the screen finally.
2: <laughs> Honestly, that was the reaction Art had about the Union guys. <laughs> He's been waiting his whole life to see a Union guy be the hero.
1: Oh, my God. So the, the, and it was
2: on the docks, even. Yeah.
1: yeah. Nice, well-lit docks. They, uh, they trap Arnold inside of a building that was full of stuff. And since they've got him covered from every conceivable angle, how's he going to get out? And they can see through the walls. It's a bad move to follow Arnold into a factory. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess he he pretends like he, he plays dead... Per- Crawls underneath the floor, does the, the old floorboard trick. I would do that in real life, the floorboard trick. Except it would end with me staying down there. And <laughs> <laughs> with collapsing on you and dying. Um, And then he shoots two guys with these weapons, and then in true Arnold fashion, he breaks through the floorboards, picks up both, and he dual-wields these railguns. Yeah. And just uh, destroys everything. He
0: is in fucking god mode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he decimates these villains, and he just starts basically... Quick triggering both guns, just blowing away, you know, entire. Generations of villains.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are, they never they never show these things running out of ammo at all. They're just always going. Because they're, just well, they're
2: going. magic super guns. Yeah, Try was, and keep up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, if, they're, if there's an analog to the video game world, they just shoot for a while and then it overheats and you just have to wait about 15 seconds for it to charge back up. That's how yeah. I imagine it works. Yeah, Arnold just, he's not
0: having that. He's no. just going to kill everyone now. <laughs> 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 and... It is, it's pretty cool, um, because he bursts through the ground. I mean, he probably softens it up a little bit by shooting it with a hail of bullets to kill those two guys. <laughs> but in this movie, there is no doubt that if Arnold wants to burst through a wooden barrier, he can, like the Kool Aid Man. And, uh, but I, that's the thing is that this movie really knows what it is. It doesn't try to, pretend to be high art it doesn't try to be the brainier version of this it has moments where it's not stupid but it knows that this is kind of fun popcorn action and it just steers hard into it
1: well I uh, sort of a question about this movie relative to because this one came out after um, Last Action Hero and after True Lies and in the wake of Last Action Hero which I don't know if you've ever seen Last Action Hero I have I did
2: not I didn't like it. No, we, I wanted to like it. It
1: deserves a rewatch, I think. Uh, we were very pleasantly yeah. surprised. But, I mean, True Lies, mm. which we haven't done yet, was sort of like the, oh, wait, Arnold's still good, you know, reteaming with James Cameron and doing uh, doing a plot that's it's not similar to this, but I feel like the tone of the movie is is basically like this. I feel like this, if you were to sort of catalog him chronologically, this is not quite True Lies. I think no. if I were to recommend... Some of that era to someone that yeah, sort of, of 2, spy stuff. It I'd, would be true lies. It yeah, would definitely be that. true lies. So I can. This movie didn't do amazingly domestically. It did. It broke a hundred million, but it was no Terminator Two. You know? No, it, no, but it it was definitely a hit. It was right. a good one for Arnold. But I think
0: there's kind of that KT period of Last Action Hero where he was unassailable at the box office for such a long time. Where anything he did, he was just spinning gold and. Then Last Action Hero is always kind of up in the air where the hits weren't as big, but it feels like the fails seemed way bigger. Yeah, um, It was never quite as big as that. So um, now we're finally getting to the two big questions at the end of and these discussions we have. Uh, question the first, is Eraser a good movie? Greg? Oh,
2: absolutely. I think so. I uh, I started out by saying that. This is... As a piece of crime slash spy fiction, this is something that can walk proudly with uh, you know Robert Ludlum and uh, um, I don't know I'm, I'm
1: Clancy. Is it Clancy level? No, it's not Clancy. Not quite Clancy. Well,
2: Clancy is too big. Hmm. Clancy, you know, is the genre equivalent of the science fiction movie that always ends with the white light spearing up into the sky. Right. You know, it's just, it's so big that it collapses in on itself. But this is, this is my feeling, not necessarily shared by the universe. Sure. Eraser strikes me as a really solid mid list kind of a crime story Hmm. that they don't really make anymore. Yeah. You know, there's like huge spectacular billion dollar blockbusters and then there's really tiny indie movies. And for mid list, you're going to television, to like Amazon or, or originals or, or Netflix or something like right. that. Um, but movies, there used to be enough of a market for them that you had like medium level. Yeah, and that's what this would is. be the star. And and yeah. that's what I like about this one is that at its core, despite all the craziness with the alligators and the magic gun and everything else, it's mostly a people story. Yeah, you're invested enough in Vanessa Williams as opposed to, let's say, uh, um, what's her name in The Running Man or, you know, I mean, there have been other female leads in Arnold movies that you just don't really care that much about. They're just there to scream and dangle off things. But uh, (laughs) but. Uh, but Vanessa actually has agency. She does things on her own. She has yeah. scenes
0: of her own. This could have made a movie about her without Arnold very yeah. easily. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, that's that's true. what
2: I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, it's I think it very much stands on its own. It's it's never going to be anybody's. It's never going to make Leonard Malton's best of the 20th century or anything. But no. but it's a good movie. It's no. it's not a waste of your time.
1: I I don't think it's in Arnold's top 10. Unfortunately. But I mean, I've watched enough really odious Arnold movies to know that uh, this is a pleasure to watch, and that's something. That's saying something. Is because sometimes as you get later, it can get pretty grown grown worthy. Yeah. You know, so uh, for sure, it's a great it's a great movie. It's a good movie for sure. Serviceable.
0: I, yeah, I I like I like Eraser. Um, we're big fans of a podcast called We Hate Movies, and there's a classification they use called a Hangover movie which is something that, let's just say, you you overindulge the night before. And you're feeling a little bit achy. You put something on. You might not be paying full attention to it. You can kind of drift in and out of the room. You might fall asleep a little bit, but wake up. But this is just kind of a pleasant experience. This is a movie. It's like macaroni and cheese. This is a comfort food movie. And I say that not as any sort of pejorative. I really think that this is in a lot of ways, you mentioned this too, Greg, the kind of movie you don't see a lot of anymore, that mid-range action movie, where it's got good action set pieces, it's Arnold doing his thing, it's uh, got a good villain, it's got a couple of these these fun moments that um, keep you interested. It moves at a clip, and it just feels like a comfortable pair of slippers. This is something that Mm -hmm. I would never change a channel on if I turned it on and, like, it was on playing on TBS in the middle of the day. I would watch the rest of this. Agreed. Like you said, it's not a top 10 Arnold movie, but I'd say this is the top half of his filmography. For sure. Yep. So
1: that's the second question. Is Eraser
0: a good Arnold vehicle? Is it a good Arnold movie?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a kind of a prototypical kind of Arnold movie. There are some elements of it that make it unique, but you you know exactly what you're going to get from it. You know, you're going to get the, the badass dispatching, nameless nearly faceless villains in all sorts of creative ways um there's going to be action set pieces that are peppered enough through that move the story forward um there are some quips he doesn't say i'll be back but he does he does he does say i'll be right out (laughs) which is with the time that they were trying to sort of massage around him saying that his catchphrase he's got catchphrases um he doesn't mercifully he the vanessa williams thing doesn't turn into a romantic relationship with him which Other even other Arnold movies probably would have sort of done that. But I but I think it's it's Arnold through and through, even if I feel like it's some kind of paler shade of true lies, it still feels like an Arnold movie. Yeah, I I say this is a pretty good Arnold movie. It's not it's not Total Recall,
0: it's not Terminator 2, it's not Commando, which are sort of the gold standard you know predator. Uh but it's it's very good. It knows how to use Arnold. I think that. Arnold is a bit more restrained in this one because he's more of a brainy character than he normally plays. Um, again, he gets a lot of Arnold things to do. The garage wire thing, where he pulls a yeah. guy into the roof by his neck. Uh, killing the guy with the freezer door. That is an Arnold move. Um, your luggage. And even when he enters that scene, he dives in with that trailer shot, and Vanessa Williams says, you're late, and he goes, Traffic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, it it knows which how... is barely a joke, to be honest. Oh yeah, it's it really doesn't. Was that it's... referring to slamming down on the top of a car in a junkyard? Yeah, no, I no, mean no.
0: he he. If somebody fought that hard to help me out <laughs> and went through all the shit he went through, and he doesn't even complain about it, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of of crazy things, a crocodile headshot, um, but again, the glory shot of this movie is him killing those two guys in the factory and bursting up and taking a super gun in each hand. Yeah. And um, that is the moment uh, that you want to see. It's like, this is the part where he stops sneaking around and just becomes, you know, John Matrix at the end of Commando assaulting the island compound. Right. Where he's just like, okay, I put in the code, now I'm invincible, I've got my game genie, Um, (laughs) you cannot stop me. And... uh, the only thing can stop me is is narrative necessity, and only right. James Kahn can stop me at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of things in this that I really like. I think that um, this is never going to be my favorite Arnold movie. Um, if I'm going to recommend an Arnold movie to, to somebody and say, hey, this is the one to understand why we do a podcast about this guy, it's probably not going to be Eraser. No. But if Eraser's on, I'd be like, hey, we should watch this. Yeah. I'm always going to argue to watch Eraser. So, Greg, is Eraser a good Arnold movie?
2: Well, clearly, I think so, because it's one of the four that I actually own. Oh, wow. Um, I, I liked it enough to add it to the home library, which, um, you know, I mean, that's a short list for me. It's definitely in my Arnold top
1: ten. Can I, can I guess? Can I guess what's there? Running Man? Yes. The original Terminator? Yes. Commando? Predator. No. Predator. No. Oh, well, what's the what's the fourth one? Terminator then? two. Terminator two. Okay. Terminator one two. Okay. Okay. Um, All
2: right. And I do have Total Recall now that you remind me. Okay. But oh. it came in a package, so it is literally Terminator in your two. Arnold top five. Yeah, it literally <laughs> is, and um, and for most of the reasons that I gave, but also because I think Arnold himself is better at being Arnold in this than he is in some of his other movies. Sure. He's got. He shows. Well, he's never going to have what I consider range as an actor, but he he shows an awareness of what each scene requires of him that you don't often get. I mean, normally in Arnold movies, there's like two settings. There's quiet conversation, and there's full-on berserker rage. There's not a lot in between. <laughs> yeah. But this, there are there are moments where he gets to show things on his face, where the you can see the light dawning that, you know, things are not right, that the his boss is corrupt, that, et cetera, et cetera. The, the fact that he's smarter, which, you know, I think it's hilarious that you guys are talking about how atypical this is. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, but that, to me, is one of the most attractive things about it, and it's one of the reasons I really like it. Hmm. So, absolutely, it's a good article. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So, Greg, thank you again for joining us on the show. Uh, if folks want to find out where they can find the works of Greg Hatcher on the Internet, where should they look?
2: Well, the easiest place... Is the website that colleagues of mine and I contribute columns to? I've usually got new stuff up there once a week. It's atomicjunkshop.com. Where, you know, if you like this podcast, you'd probably like the website. It's just a celebration of junk culture of all kinds. Um, and as far as the book stuff, the easiest place to find me is my Amazon author page that has all the Airship 27 stuff, plus some of the other things I've got going um, the MX Sherlock Holmes books and so on. Oh, and yeah. a new project that I'm very happy to be part of it should be out by the end of the year. It's um, another small press venture from Pro Se Press. It's called Tales from Port Victoria. Hmm. And it was. Uh, sort of a sequel or a spin-off to a superhero novel that they did by a guy that was called The Bishop of Port Victoria. I, I'm i blanking on his name. I think it's Alan Drake, but don't don't go by that. Look it up by Bishop of Port Victoria. And the editor at Pro Se wanted to do sort of a theme anthology where the rest of us do stories about Port Victoria, which just the basic through line of it is that in the 1930s, the government was experimenting with a uh, superhero formula that's really not the same as the Steve Rogers Captain America formula, except it really is. And, uh, and it turns a bunch of people super and their, their progeny have lived in Port Victoria underground over the course of the years and, uh, and the author, the originator of the concept, has done stories set in the 30s and 40s and then again in the modern day. Hmm. And when Tommy approached me, I said, well, nobody is doing the 60s. And that's where I grew up. Cool. You know, Bond and Batman and Bionics, that's kind of my field. Nice. So I did a story that was set in that era, told from the point of view of the henchmen. Oh, because nobody ever talks about the guy that had to do the wiring on all those big aluminum rooms full of cool stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so this is the story of a guy who kind of made his rep in the Port Victoria supervillain community as Dr. Fix-It. That's he's, great. He's the guy that does all your lair work and how he kind of got swept up into an event called the Battle of Easter Sunday. I'm thrilled with this story. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done, and I can't wait for the book to be out so everybody can see it.
0: Great. Yes. Thank you again, Greg. Please, folks, go check that out. And uh, thanks again to our episode sponsors. We now have six of them. Oh, wow. I know. Yes. I know. We ah. <laughs> Big time. I'm excited. I'm excited. So, big thank you to Margaret King, Larry Brunswick, Tim Batson, Zori Russell, Sterling Taylor, and Tom the Belgian. So, if you want to become an episode sponsor of Radio Versus the Martians or Podcast of La Vista Baby, please go to patreon.com slash radio Versus the Martians, or check us out on podcastoflavistababy.com. Click that red button. Give us some love. And until then, folks, we'll catch you all next month.
1: Podcast de la Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at PodcastDeLaVistaBaby.com and radioversustheMartians.com.
0: God, I gotta hand it to you, Danny Boy. That was a brilliant piece of work you did back there. What are you talking about? The, the van was beautiful. I mean, it was clean, it was swift. You got hundreds of witnesses to say we were never near it. I like your style. You know, you remind me of me.
1: Wait a minute, I thought you set that up. What, are you, did, did, did you... what the hell's going on up there? What the hell's going on? What is that? Hello. It's for you. Yeah. You've just been erased.